Just before I read to us, um, the story so far today, I want to talk to you about Elijah. And I've been studying a great deal about him and, of course, the transfer of power from him over to Elisha. And it has been intriguing me greatly and making me think deeply about um, what he has gone through and what he had to do and what he has gone through. So the story so far with him is that he has won this major, major victory over the prophets of, um, of Baal. And uh, he's created this amazing competition and they have rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And it's, it's amazing how he's taken these 12 stones, which according to the scripture says, it's the 12 sons, that represents the 12 sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came. And he invites them to build the altar. And on it, he says, they have to get the whole idea of putting the wood onto it and build it all up, but they're not allowed to light it. And the idea is that they both do this, so that um, Elijah builds one, and the prophets of Baal do the same thing. And he says, now what you've got to do is you've got to call your God to come down and light it. Now interestingly, when they do this, and, and it really is intriguing how they do this, and it intrigues me how he builds, rebuilds the altar, because this is being torn down um, by these, these prophets. And the house of Ahab has been infiltrated by Baal, by the Asherahs and all the rest of it. They really are seeking these false gods they have led the Israelites into an awful place and God is not one bit happy about this. So here, here is what Elijah has done. He has created this competition between the two. And Elijah calls on them to now call on their gods and light up this altar. And so here they are, the, 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 the prophets of Baal, they're, they're running about, they're shouting, they're calling on them, they're doing this all morning, they're right into the noon, right into the afternoon, nothing's happening. They're, they're cutting themselves, they're shouting, they're taking swords to themselves, blood's running out of them, nothing happens. And then Elijah yeah, does this one thing, and it, it really makes me laugh. Um, sorry, I forgot to do this, and I'm sure it's too late to do it. I've just suddenly realised a PowerPoint presentation and I've forgotten to give it all bad, really bad. Elijah starts to mock um, the, 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 the prophets of Baal and uh, I had it on PowerPoint here so I do apologise, I should have had that up. Um, and he starts to mock them. So where is this, this? What's happening here? Has he gone to sleep? Has, has your God gone to sleep? Has he headed off? Is he musing himself? Is he somewhere? Is he doing something? And he really starts to lay it into them. And then Elijah calls the people around him. After he rebuilds this altar, he calls them all around him and he offers the burnt offering. Now he does a strange thing with it because what he does is he builds this, this, this altar and he puts it all together with a trough, like a trench that goes right round it. And he just doesn't build it with, um, with wood. He starts pouring water on it and he puts one jug of water over the top of the wood and then he puts another jug of water over it and then another one. And he does this so much that the water starts to pour out of the altar into the trenches right round it. And people are looking at it and I'm sure going, that's never going to light. He's pouring water onto wood. It's never going to happen. Now, if he'd been pouring petrol onto it, it would have never been an issue. But he was pouring water onto it. And, and people are saying, like, this, this, this is crazy. And then, in 1 Kings 18, um, he begins... To pray, and he says, At that time of the offering of the oblation, 
Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you are Lord and that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then a fire comes from heaven right down, consumes the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licks up the water in the trench. And all the people are so amazed they just fall flat on their feet or on their faces right down and they start to say, he is God, he is Lord, he is God. Now at that point, the prophets of Baal start to run because they realize they're called out, they're in trouble. But it's too late because the people run after them and they slaughter them and they're dead. Now, the, 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 the interesting part of this is that um, the interesting part of this is that, that Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, is the queen. She's not a good piece of work. Now, she's nasty. Nasty, very nasty indeed. And she has made sure that all the prophets, all but one, which is Elijah, have all been killed. And Elijah is the only one. Now, um, she's really, really annoyed about this. Really ticked off about this. And so she sends the word to Elijah and says to him, sorry, but I titled this here, Filling Big Boots, and you'll see why in a, while, in a little while. Right, there we, that's where we are now. Apologies for that. So um, Jezebel is really ticked off by this, and so she sends word to Elijah, you see this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. I'm coming for you. I'm going to get you, and you are in big trouble. And so... Elijah is very fearful, and he really is very fearful, and he legs it, he just clears off, and he goes into the wilderness, and it's a day's journey, off he goes, he just really can't take any more of it, and it's at this point, I want us all to grab your Bibles please, and if we could read from 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19, now it's a wee long piece of scripture this, but Bear with me on this one because you really do need to get the flavour of what's going on here. So we're taking it up from 1 King 19 verses 1 to 18. So Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also. And if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Bersheda, where which belongs to Judea, and left the servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that, that he might die, saying, If it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and he behold, and there was um, at his head a cake of bread on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate 
and drank and went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Harab and the Mount of God. And here the Lord speaks to him and he says, There he came to the cave and lodged in it and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left and they seek my life too to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces of rock before the Lord. But the Lord was in the wind. The Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, came a voice from him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have spoken, have for, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed the prophets with the sword. I, even I, am only left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to the king of Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshah. And you shall anoint the king of Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat. And you shall anoint the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And the Lord bless that word to us. Now you see there in that wee piece of scripture, he, he is in desperation. Um, Jezebel has really got to him. And he's feeling very fearful, is old Elijah, Elijah. And here he is under a broom tree. And this is what they look like apparently. And while he was there, he just lay down and he's just given up. He said, Lord, just take me. Take my life. I've had enough. I, I, there's no point in me being here. I failed. I'm just, I'm at the really, I'm rock bottom here. And he falls asleep and the Lord gives him rest and he does give him some serious rest there. And this is the bit that I, as I read this, I began to sort of wonder, are we talking about the same very powerful prophet? This is Elisha. How would he be in this place? And it suddenly reminded me about something. This man has been going through three years of the most intense ministry anybody could ever go through. His job was to go in there and start telling the Israelites, this this king and this queen are leading you astray. They have put these false gods. And it all happened by one thing. It It was Jezebel. Because where she came from, they were into false gods. And she brought all this stuff with her. And she just said to Ahab, this is what we're doing. And that's what's going to happen. Now, Psalm 103 verse 14 says, and this is what reminded me greatly of why. It says here that for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Because while 
um, poor old Elijah was in the, the desert, he was just in just rock bottom. He was just there. He was struggling. And he just says, Lord, take my life. And while, you know, for all of us, and I can say this, I can probably say this probably with great um, understanding and sincerity, is when you're struggling in the dark seasons of life, it most certainly is the most difficult place to be, and it's a difficult way out of it. When you start to think that the light never can shine again, because that's how you feel, God does this amazing thing, because he comes to you when you're at your very lowest. And we see it here for for Elijah. He had an honest conversation with God, and he just simply said, Lord, I've had enough. Would you just take me now? And he's lying under... He's lying under the tree, lying under the broom tree here. He's just lying there saying, Lord, will you take me? And God does this amazing thing. He comes to him and he allows him to go to sleep. He just puts him over to sleep and he said, have a rest. Take a wee rest. Discouragement, depression, despair often brings distorted information into us. And as I said to you, the psalmist says, for I know, for he knows our frame that's the most amazing thing about God when you're at your very lowest. God knows us. He knows everything about us. And here he is, poor Elijah, at his very, very worst. And the discouragement, I believe, is rooted in the fact that he was engaged of three whole years of a dangerous, high-profile ministry. And you've got to remember that all the prophets were killed by Jezebel. And he was the only one left, and he was being very courageous. He was being... Right up there, he was doing this thing and he was trying to tell the people of Israel, these people are leading you in the wrong direction. And so the Lord puts him to sleep underneath a tree. And while he's sleeping, the Lord tells an angel, go bake bread, bring him some fresh water, touch him and wake him up, he said, and get him to eat. And so the angel wakens him, he touches him and he said, look, there's bread for you. And he looks up at his head and there is a fire sitting with bread sitting on it and it's baking away and he has this lovely fresh water to drink with it. Now, I don't know about you whether you've smelled um, fresh baked bread, but one of the many jobs I ever had in, in my life was I worked in a bakery for a while. And every morning you in, you, f- you smelt the fresh bread baking. Oh my word, that is such a lovely smell when you're going in first thing in the morning. In fact, I never made breakfast when I went to the bakery. I got breakfast in the bakery, in the bakery in the morning. Nothing beats a fresh pancake coming off the grill with the butter on the top, <laughs> running over the edges, a cup of tea in your hand. Oh my word, that is so amazing, right? So amazing, okay? And of course, when the bread came out, you wait till it cooled down a wee bit, and then you got that sliced up a little wee bit later, and you toasted that, and boy, I'll tell you, that was amazing. Could you imagine when he wakened up thinking, oh, that was a great sleep. Why are you waking me up here? And he can smell the bread. Ooh, oh. And then he sits up. He starts ripping big chunks of that bread off and he begins to eat it. And he takes a drop of the water and he goes, that's lovely. And he eats away of it. And then the Lord says, now lie down and have another sleep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> now it doesn't get better than that, does it? <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it just sound an amazing picture of that? I love that picture. I really do. I mean, when you're lying under this tree, right, and there you are, and it's lovely and warm, and apparently the temperature's out there, um, usually in about 30s, right, about 31, maybe 35 sometimes, depending on what time of the year it is, and there's a lovely cake of bread. 
Isn't that amazing how God came to him? And he's in his very worst. He's in his darkest place. He's in his most depressed place. And an angel comes and touches him. But he doesn't do it once. He does it twice. He does it twice. He comes to him and wakens him up again. And he said, look, come. Have some more of this bread. Have some more of this water. You have a long journey to do. And that, friends, was all rooted in the fact that this man had an intense time of ministry. A really intense time of ministry. Elijah had a battle and God moves him off the front line and he lets him recover from the exertion and the challenging time that he's had. And the angel of the Lord really does come and touch him and says, look, eat and then have another wee sleep. I think by trying to get away from what happened there, I think what happened to him was that Jezebel's wrath unwittingly distanced him from God. I feel that's, that's what, it, what had happened to him. It pretty much, um, something similar happened, didn't it, in the Garden of Eden, where um, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they had to get dressed, they sinned, and they had to get themselves covered up, and they tried to hide from God. And, um, well, poor old Elijah was in the same place. But it reminds me of this New Testament scripture Um, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 come to me all you who are burdened and weary are weary and burdened and I will give you rest I will give you rest in the in the downside of depression and you can see Elijah's lying there he's in his worst place and how many times have some of us been in our worst place and in your worst worst place and you're at really rock bottom And you just feel nothing's ever going to come better for me again. It's just in the most awful place. It's the most awful feeling to have, actually. And to realize that there is a God out there who loves us enough to come alongside us, lift you up, and to carry you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, by now Elijah is living in a cave, and the Lord calls on him. And he asks him what he's doing. And he invites him to come out. And he says to Elijah, come out, because I'm going to be passing by. But Elijah does come out, but he puts his cloak around his head. And it's nearly almost like he's, he's ashamed. He just feels he's not good enough anymore to come out and look at the Lord. And when I read this piece of scripture, it never ceases to amaze me or even make me think about that lovely, lovely old Old him, reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He is passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. That was written in 1958 by a guy called Bill Harmon. And later years, it was only the one verse or one chorus line of it. And um, that's been sung so many times. And if you're as old as me in Christianity, you would understand that's an old song from many, many years ago. Do you know that one there, young, young Aaron? You do know that? You must be really old. <laughs> so I love the very fact that he comes out because the Lord is passing by. But as he's passing by, everything's happening. There's an earthquake. There's fire. There's winds. Everything's happening. And there Elisha is out with this cloak over his head. And God's calling to him. And he whispers to him. Isn't it amazing when God whispers to you? Mm. It's amazing when God whispers to you. 
and you get this deep encouragement that comes into your life when God whispers and all it takes sometimes is us to listen. Elijah's been in a really fierce battle. He has had this, this awful, awful um, threat on his life from a really nasty queen called Jezebel. And he has run it. And he's in this awful place. He's in a very, very bad place. By now, Elijah really is starting to feel that God's trying to talk to him again. And he starts to tell God, you know, um, I've been very zealous for you, Lord. I've really been doing these things for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn your altars down. They've put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. They're trying to get me. They're trying to come and look me up as well. And so by doing this, he was depressed. He was down. He was out. And he was, he's, he's even, I think he's even uh, developed this victim mentality really in a way. It's almost like he's ashamed of what's happened. And he's, he's come out and, and God's whispered to him, Elijah, I have things for you to do. I have things for you to do. And God tells Elijah that he's to um, take part in a task after everything that's happened. And, and Elijah must have thought to himself, well, God will never use me now. I've shown him my weakness. I'm down and out. God will never, ever reuse me again. But God says, you know what, Elijah? I have things for you to do. And God tells him, I have a task for you to perform. In fact, he says to him, I have three anointings for you to do. Now he says, you've got to get up and go. Leave the desert. Get out of this place and go. And go look these people all up. And all these anointings are all about authority. In the ancient world, an anointing was an act of both appointment and authority. And it usually was only for, for priests and kings. And first, this is the first one he asks them to go and do. God instructs Elijah to go first see the king Hazel and to anoint him. And he was to become the king over Arnhem, which is Syria. Now, this is nothing less than a shocking if you ask me, right? It's a shocker. It really is. It's a kind of like, you know, stop the press. Stop the world. Let me off. This is a Jew. This, this, is, this is an Israelite. This is a, a prophet from Israel. And he is going to anoint a king of Syria. Now, if you can understand what Syria was all about, it was the superpower of the day. They were the guys that were the biggest threat to Israel. They, that was their biggest threat. They were the ones that caused the biggest problems for them. And here, here is Elijah, and he is going to anoint this guy to become a king. And then he says to him, Elijah, you were to anoint Jehu to become the king over Israel. Now, this kind of gets our attention a wee bit, because Jehu was going to become de facto successor to the king um, Ahab and Jehu was to put him to death well Hazel was to do it first and then Jehu was to come in afterwards here God says you know what Ahab's finished because normally it's the son who comes up behind him becomes the next king the whole family gets wiped out that line is taken out completely because they've let God down very badly and then the third thing Elijah was to do he was to go and um, look up Elijah, Elisha to succeed him becoming the prophet. And that's even more unusual because he's asked him to anoint a prophet. 
And like I said there a little while ago, anointing was only for kings and priests, never prophets. So this is a really unusual thing, a very unusual thing. And this is where we come to a place, Elijah, Elisha, well, he's my hero in the Bible. I absolutely love Elisha because he's the guy who I see has an amazing power for God and does the most amazing things. And when you look at both Elijah and Elisha, the both of these guys done miraculous things. And this is an era of miracles, by the way. This is a time of miracles that are happening in the Bible. And it's funny when you think about it, it only happens about three times in the Bible, three, three different times in the Bible. And you would have thought the Bible is full of miracles from you know, cover to cover. But it's not really because there are times in which those things didn't happen. But here, Elijah himself has done about eight miracles. And whenever Elisha becomes a prophet himself, he says to God, will you give me a double blessing of what Elijah got? And he got it, and he'd done twice as many as what, uh, what Elijah did. And so here is Elijah being asked, you go look up these people, you've got to go anoint these people, and you've got to go do things for them. And you've got to tell them, this is what they've got to do. What a message. What a message for a very battle-weary, worn-torn Elijah. And you know what it says in all of this? It says there's hope. This is what God says every time to us. When you're at your rock bottom in your worst place, there is hope. There is hope every time. And I love that. And this is why I always say to the folk in Table Church, this is the house of restoration. This place is about bringing hope to a people out there who are hopeless, who have lost hope. I love this, and I'll put it up for you to see it. God has a plan even when we don't have a clue. How about that, eh? God has a plan even when we don't have a clue. I used to go, as I used, I've told you this before, but I was part of a, a group called Lay Witness in the Methodist Church. And Lay Witness, went, when they were invited to go to churches, went everywhere over Ireland, both north and south, I only did once down south, so it was mostly all in the north that I went to, all the different churches. But every time we went to a church, we had the most amazing ministry. And we would tell our stories. We would tell our testimonies. Ten minutes, that's all you were allowed, never to go over that. Ten-minute testimony. For some people, that was hard work, I can tell you. But you, you condensed it down, and you asked the Lord to give you the story that you had to bring and on one occasion, I remember being in a wee church, and it was a Saturday night. So every night, you had a Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. It was very intense. I can tell you, I used to come home from those weekends completely, absolutely banjaxed and, and needing some serious rest. But um, on the Saturday night, the folk were giving their testimonies, and I was leading the whole weekend, and I stood up at the end, and I always made a call. I always made a call to folk. And so we began to sing, and then I made a call to folk out. I said, there's someone here tonight. Is anybody here tonight that feels the Lord's been speaking to them? And as I looked down the congregation, and I looked over to my left, there was a gentleman sitting, and I could see him put his head down. And then he looked up, and I could see the tears running down his eyes. And I knew that the Lord was speaking to him. And he sat there. The next thing I could see, his wife holding his hand. And I said, let's pray. 
And then I prayed. And I said, is there someone here who would like to pray that sinner's prayer? And we went through that prayer with them. And I said, if you want to, why don't you come to the communion rail? And we'll pray. You'll not be on your own. There'll be someone with you on that. There'll someone will be there with you. And as I watched, and I kept my eyes open while I did this, because I needed to see the congregation. And this gentleman got up. And he went into floods of tears. Sobbing his heart out. Walking towards, and he, he just sat down. He just put his knees down on the communion rail. And his wife beside him. And of course, some of the other folk who were with me at the weekend came and joined him. And I went with him and we prayed with him. Many weeks, months later, I met the gentleman and I got talking to him. And he said this most amazing thing to me. He says, you know, Nigel, you know something? He said, I had no peace. None. He said, my life was in bits. And he said, when you began to speak that night and I listened to those people talk about Jesus in their life, he said, I needed Christ in my life. And he said, I needed to get up and I needed to get on my knees. And he said, and I needed to confess all my sins and I needed to get that rest. He said, I went home that night and I had the best sleep I ever had. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. And he gave him rest. And I can tell you that's a story that came to me every time we did those weekends. And I've seen it so many times over and over and over again. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And here, Elisha's in the worst place he could ever be. And God gives him some serious R&R, rest and recuperation. He brings him to the place, he puts him down. He said, now let's have a rest here. Let's take time out. Sometimes that's what we have to do. You've got to take time out. Do you ever be in a situation where you're involved in the ministry in the church and you think, no one else can do this, only me? Do you ever be in that place? It's an awful place to be. It's an awful place to be. I used to talk to guys in working that said to me, you know, if I left here, this place would go to pieces, you know. Absolutely fall to pieces. And I used to say to them, you'll not be out of this place one month if somebody else is sitting at your desk and doing your job and perhaps doing it much better than you. It's not a single ministry, you know. It's not a single person ministry. If God's calling you out to take rest, take it. From someone who's been to that place and back, take time out. Take time out and rest. Poor old Elijah was in that awful place and God made him rest and then God restored him. That's the thing I love about this. God restored him back to the ministry, but it was different. He was going to be handing over the reins of power. And of course, you know the story where eventually he goes up to Elisha, to Elisha and he's got 12 oxen in front of him and he's, you know, plowing the field. He's a farmer and they are plowing the field up and he says, there's my cloak. He puts it over him and he says, now come with me. You've got to come with me. Imagine that. In the middle of your job, imagine me being in my showroom. I'm standing there and I'm, I'm, I'm in front of my computer doing my, my, my quotes and all. And some guy comes in and puts a cloak over him. He says, Nigel, you've got to come with me. It would really be very easy. Actually, I'd get up and go on. I really say, <laughs> I would go right now. <laughs> do you know what? Imagine that. But Elisha knows he has to go do it. He has to go do it. And of course, he does the most amazing things. And hopefully, if I ever get the chance to come back and do that next time, I want to talk to you about him because I love 
As I told you, he's my hero in the Bible. He's the guy. And I was telling one of my colleagues in work that I work with, and he might be watching, I don't know, I've told him I was going to mention this, but uh, he's completely bald, you know. He's got a shiny old top. And uh, we make no bones about it. He says awful things to me, and I say awful things to him. We, this is this banter. This is what we do. And I said to him, you know, dear, you know, David, um, in the Bible it talks about Elisha, Elijah, Elisha. And I said, you know, he was completely bald. And young lads came out and they started mocking him, making fun of his baldy head, and he sent birds out to rip them to bits. <laughs> and he said to me, really? And I said, oh, yes. He says, do you think I could do that with you? <laughs> you know what? It's the amazing power of God that has hope. It's built into hope. This is the thing I love about Christianity. It's because there's hope for those who are lost, who are down, who are out. And even for, you know, time-served, well-worn-torn Christians who have been out there doing that massive ministry. You know what? There is hope and there is rest and there is peace and there is a God who will look after you no matter what. Care for you like you have never been cared for. And there is one thing I want to say to you about this. When you are depressed and in in that really lost place and you are feeling you are in, oh, the last place you want to be is in God's presence, I'll be honest. You see when you are in your dark place, the last place you want to be is in a church with people talking to you. You know, I love people. I'm a, people, I'm a people person. I love talking to people. You see the job I have that I'm allowed to talk to people and get paid for it. It's amazing. I love it. But when you're in that awful place, you just don't want to talk to people. You don't want people talking to you either. This is where you need a loving church, a strong church family who will carry you when you're in your lowest, love you when you're in your least loving place and lift you up in prayer and carry you in prayer when you need it the most. That's an amazing thing. And there's a loving church here. Ah, oh, I can tell you, this is the most loving church. This is the most loving place you can ever be. And I remember when I was in one of my darkest places at one time, a Christian friend of mine said to me, Nigel, what's wrong? And I told him. And I said, do you know what? I can't even pray. He says, no, you don't. You don't pray. I'll pray for you. I'll carry you, friend. I'll carry you until you're better, until you're up there. Do you know what that felt like for me, for someone to say that? I will carry you, friend. I will pray for you. Don't you pray. I'll do it for you. That's amazing. That is just incredible. And here, poor old Elisha, is the whole thing around his face. He's going out and saying, Lord, please, I'm sorry. I can never be used again. And God says, no, no. No, 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 no. I'm going to use you. I have, a, I have a job for you to do. Yes. Oh, thank you, Lord. I thought you're never going to do this with me again. God has a plan even when we don't have a clue. God has a plan even when you don't have a clue. And to finish it off, God's provision will meet the need of the hour every time. I can, I can tell you about this. I could write books on this stuff. This is absolutely amazing because God has been amazing for me over my 36, 37 years of being a Christian. He has just provided every time, every time. Absolutely incredible. God's provision will meet the need. And I think I want you to take away this message with you today out of everything we've talked about. 
Poor old Elijah. Oh my goodness, that man has done such a great work for God. And yet here he was in the lowest place. God came to him. God made him um, some food. He put it right there for him. And he, he let him go to sleep again. He made him rest up. And then he put him right back again. And he can fix people. God fixes people. God really does an amazing job of fixing people. And if you're broken, God can fix you. If you're in an awful place, God will lift you up. And you have to find a loving church like this one and they will carry you until you're better and in a great place. And like I've said before, this is the house of restoration because God restores people who are in their most awfulest places. And may God bless that message to you today of hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of hope. You are a God of care. You are a God of love and Lord, you restore us. And Lord, if we're in that place today, and if there are those who are listening online or on YouTube, Father, or, or right now in an awful place and really are despair, Lord, will you bless them where they are in this minute? Will you reassure them, Father, that they are loved by you and that you will fix them and that we are all fixable? Lord, thank you for hope. Thank you for the ministry of restoration. Thank you, Lord, that through you, and as you have told us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, we can come to you, Lord, when we're wearied, when we're burdened, and Lord, you will give us rest. What a message, Father. What a blessing. Lord, bless us. And this day we ask it. Amen.